Now, in both versions, or in all versions, now the Abyssinian army is heading to destroy the Kaaba. Abdul Muttalib says, give me back my hundred ca- uh, camels or cattle or whatever it was, sheep. Abraha says, this is what you want? God, I thought you were more important than this. Okay, fine, here, take back your, your cattle or camel. This is fine. He takes it and, and goes and leaves. And he's out of the picture. Now, this, of course, brings, just so you know, <laughs> brings an issue of law. Or is it possible, can this be used as a precedent to rely on inaction as, as an alternative in some circumstances? Or does this have no, this precedent has no legal significance? Now this is when you do Sharia, Usul al-Fiqh particularly. You come and talk about Shara man qablana. Now, Shara man qablana, is this number one Shara, the laws of those who came before us? Number one, is this a law? Is this legal precedent at all? Are there circumstances where you basically say, okay, I leave it up to God and I do nothing. I, I will go and, and just sit to the side. Is it permissible for you to do that? Because Abdul Muttalib does it, according to these reports, absolutely confident that, that he is not incurring a sin. Now, if we are talking from the Islamic perspective, let's say Abdul Muttalib was Muslim. What was his duty? Should he have waged a suicide attack and resisted and been killed to the last man? Or should he have said, well, you know, resistance is useless, so let God take care of it. Do you see where this comes in? Do you see how important this becomes? At the heart of many of the arguments that go on between Islamic groups and governments today is... This, I mean, often when the government buys sheikhs and brings them to this, to argue with these political groups, they say, why don't you do like Abdul Muttalib? You know, he went and he took his cattle and he went and sat on the side and let God take care of it. To them, they res- to, to the Islamic groups respond when the sheikhs raise this point is, this precedent is not relevant for us. Which the sheikhs then get into a debate about shara man qablan and so on. So you see here, Aqidah, law, and sirah were all invoked by the very first verse of Surah al All right. Now, to make a long story short, they get creamed. Now we're combining Muqatil and Abbas. Birds, according to reports, that have nothing the like have been seen before or after. And they are in the books those of you who are interested in art, you could do artistic renderings of these birds because often in reports they're described in detail. They tell you how long their beaks were, what color their beaks were, what color their feathers were, how long their their their. I mean, you could do artistic renderings of all the different versions. I I don't have any artistic abilities like that and so I have tried to visualize and they would look like very interesting birds I mean rather long beaks the report said that they had the green beaks 
Other reports say it had red beak. Others said that they had, it had their feet were like the feet of frogs. Uh, and others say like the feet of ducks. The, um, anyway. Now, the birds appear carrying stones, pellets, cover the sky, and what is fascinating, some reports even tell you they, they appear in noon, I'm sorry, appear in the morning, but don't do anything till noon. In other words, they start accumulating in the morning, but then the bombardment starts at noon. And then some reports tell you that the pigeons that hang around Mecca, you know, if you go to Mecca, there are constant pigeons there. Constantly. It's been like that for centuries. That these pigeons are the descendants of these birds. <laughs> so, just so you know. Now, that, then they start throwing these pellets upon the army of Abraha, and the army is vanquished without the involvement of human resistance. No human beings are involved in this bombardment. The, there's a story of is Mahmoud, the uh, the elephant, the big elephant. When they direct him towards Yemen, he runs. When they direct him towards Syria, he runs. When they direct him towards uh, Persia, he runs. When they direct him towards the Kaaba, he refuses to proceed. And there are all types of heartbreaking stories about how poor Mahmoud was tormented and tortured to get him to head towards the Kaaba. And, you know, sticking needles in him, and all types of really painful things. But the, the, the happy ending is, the reports say Mahmoud himself was not killed in the bombardment. Mahmoud survived the bombardment. But nothing is ever said about what happens to Mahmoud after that. So that he survives now we know what happens to Abraha because Abraha is said to have actually survived the bombardment and then died later in the desert. Different reports say different things. Is that he dies in the desert? Some say he reaches Yemen and then dies there. Others say that he, etc., etc. But there is no, there are no reports of the Meccans taking care of a huge elephant. So what this elephant survives, but what happens to him and what does he feed on in this desert? Now, we haven't seen a, an animal rights jurist, and if there were, the animal rights jurist would have then tried to deduce all types of rulings and precedents from this. But that has not happened to my knowledge yet. So, we'll leave that part. What is interesting, though, is we have a report that I have not, and none of my teachers who have talked about it have either at least to the point that I was learning from them, that Aisha is reported to have said, reported to have said that the master, the, the, the man riding on Mahmoud, the elephant, and the one who walks in front of the, we call it in Arabic, the one who walks in front of the elephant with, with sort of pulling him with a, with a rope, Aisha is supposed to have said that, uh, reported to have said that she saw them living in Mecca, blows blind, begging 
for money and food from the Meccans after the issue is over. In other words, that they, they, they continued after the army was destroyed, they stayed in Mecca as beggars. Now, additionally, now there's another report which, which is sort of interesting, which says that uh, I'll talk a bit about it a bit later, that uh, in the house of Um Hani, she had a basket full of these little pellets. That's one of the very few places where we have a description of these pellets. As I told you, there's disagreement about who Abraha was, who Najashi was, was it the same Najashi who later on houses the Muslim political asylees or refugees Al-Waqidi said that this is, this Abraha was the grandfather of Najashi who eventually converts to Islam, etc., etc. Okay. Now, why did all of this take place? And that is the significant point. Two main schools of thought as to this matter. The first school of thought said that there was an Arab prophet before the prophet Muhammad called Khalid bin Sanan existing at the time and that this was a miracle in behalf and in for the benefit of Khalid bin Sanan the second report says no this was one of the preparatory steps for the coming of the prophet Muhammad and it had nothing to do with Khalid bin Sanam. Now, it makes a difference in the archetype. We talked about archetypes of personality. Here we are going to talk about archetypes of society. It makes a difference as to the archetype that is being constructed as to the type of society that Allah is talking about. Remember that Allah in the earlier surahs is giving us examples of personalities that stand for good or evil. Here is an example of a society rather than a personality. And whether the Khalid bin Sanan version is accepted or the Muhammad issue is accepted that is going to make a difference, but I'm going to put that on the side for now because if I if I get into it, you, it will just simply confuse. Okay. Then after that, alam yajal fi Note the interesting interesting point about this verse. Alam yajal fi tadlil. You could have said, if you wanted to say that it make it very clear that their kaid was led astray. How would you say it in, in the most direct fashion? How would you say it? Yeah, you would say, Alam yufsid kaidahum, right? Or you would say, Alam yudil, you could even say, Alam yudil kaidahum, right? In other words, by varying their grammatical structure, 
you could make it very clear that what you're saying is Kaid means treachery. Their plans, their treacherous plans. Tadlil means to go astray, or Dalal from the word Dalla means to be astray. Tadlil is, is, is a, a condition of being astray. Alam yaj'al kaidahum fi tadlil, however, is not the most direct way to say that he has made the treasury go astray. But it is rather, it's as if you are saying that their treasury, their treacherous plan have become, have been made in a state of being astray, which is a rather a, a, a strange way of phrasing it because of the fact that it connotes continuous action, continuous action. You're referring to something that happened in the past as if it's still continuing. And it does not make clear what is it exactly that has led what astray. So it could mean in that form that they became dis- they were destroyed and their destruction is what led their treasury to be ast- astray so that halakahum adallah kaidahum that their destruction the halak destruction is what frustrated their treasury alternatively however it could be that their treasury have led them astray until they became destroyed. So you, it could be كَيْدَهُمْ أَضَلَّهُمْ حَتَّى هَلَكُوا Or it could be هَلَاكَهُمْ أَضَلَّ كَيْدَهُمْ حَتَّى بَطَلْ So again, it could be that their destruction, the fact that they were destroyed, is what frustrated their treasury, or it could be that their treasury is what frustrated them, so they became destroyed. Now, the distinction, this duality in meaning is intended. And that's why you have the continuous action form. That it is true that God destroyed them. But a priori, it is also true that they destroyed themselves. And that this dynamic relationship, which is invoked initially by the lapse between present and past and future, when it says, Alam Tara, Alam Tara Kaifara Book of Ashab al immediately zones you into the fact that you are being presented with an archetypal point. In other words, you are to learn a lesson about something, which we'll, we'll talk about in great, great more deal when we, when we deal with Surah Quraysh, that it is not simply a historical event that happened and that's it. 
But there is a lesson to be learned. And when you start looking at the, the grammatical structure of the second verse, you are struck by the continuous action, the persistence of the verb form. Two, is that this is not the most straightforward way to say that God frustrated them. God defeated them. But the way it is structured, it connotes a duality in meaning that God frustrated them and they frustrated themselves. They defeated themselves. Which will come in rather powerfully when we talk about Tarmihim Bahjarati Mufijid. Okay. Hasn't Allah allowed, hasn't Allah made their destruction, frustrate their treachery, and hasn't Allah allowed their treachery to lead them astray to the point that they were led to their destruction? Can you then start suspecting that treacherous ends ultimately lead to a form of self-destruction. You bet. And we will see this time and time again in the in the juz, in the 30th juz of the Quran. Time and time again, evil is posed as ultimately as a form of self-destruction. Self-negation. We even saw that to a certain extent at the individual level when we talked about Surah Lahab. Right? When we talked about Tabat Abi Lahab, that the, 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 it's a human being that sort of, uh, uh, deconstructs himself or herself. Arsala alayhim tayran ababil. Okay, arsala alayhim. Arsala means to send. Alayhim upon them. Tayran. Flying objects could be tir means bird or something that flies. Ababil, a a fascinating word, and we'll see in a second. Obviously, it could simply talking about birds. I mean, or not necessarily birds. Something that flies. We cannot preclude, if we are going to talk about a miraculous event, if we are going to talk about a miraculous, talk about a miraculous event, we cannot preclude the possibility that it is something flying, albeit not birds. It could be birds, as we know birds to be, a beak, wings. It could be flying cows. It could be flying saucers. It could be flying anything, right? In other words, once when we limit Tyran to birds, it is because we that's the most manifest meaning, the most direct meaning, not the only possible meaning. And in that context, you have the commentators on the Quran argue about several points. Are they birds from earth? Meaning real birds. Wings, beaks, 
fire min al ard. Like those who say the pigeons of Mecca are descended from them. Or either are they birds from the heavens? Fire min as sama. What are these mean? What do they talk about when they say fire min sama? Does this mean that up there in the seventh sky, or you know, once you get beyond Pluto or whatever, there are special birds flying around out there in the atmosphere? Obviously not. What is meant is. Was it a cosmological event that was miraculous in nature? Although not bird, although not the birds of earth, but flying entities, whatever they are, flying uh, atmos- atmospherical phenomena, carrying rocks, or whatever it is. Was it a hailstorm, for example, that originates from the skies and not from the ground? Why does this become even so relevant? Because and in, in Arabia, this expression was used as a saying. Tayran Ababir. But it didn't refer to birds. It referred to a disaster that you cannot handle. So is it this is a Quran using it to in, in the in the idiomatic sense of Arabia? Or is the Quran using it in the literal sense of Arabia? So now nowadays when when someone comes and says, Well no 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 the, the Surah al-Fil when it talks about birds stoning the, the army and destroying it, it's symbolic, it really didn't happen this way. And then you find the Wahhabis saying often, oh, you are influenced by the West, you are influenced by the rationalists. <laughs> you don't know that long before the West and long before the rationalists and long before everything, this was a saying. And it meant a calamity upon your head that you can't deal with. So you would often say, for example, Ah, nazal alayya tayr al-ababil. Before the Quran was written. Meaning I was bombarded on the head with more problems I can handle. So is the Quran then using it in that sense? Or is the Quran using it in the literal sense of, of birds? Like these birds in the cages, but big ones with green beaks and stuff like that. Carrying rocks and, and pelting these people. Or is it causing using it in a in the sense in the sense of its most essential meaning? If something that comes from up flying, whatever it is, hailstorm, uh, hurricane, uh, uh, meteorites falling upon their head, who knows, right? What is it using? In what sense is it using it? Or if we want to get really deep about about it, but this is very very similar to the idiomatic sense, the Allah allowed their own treasury to bring calamities upon their head in such a fashion, etc. Now my all of them are possibilities because once we accepted. 
and once and we do accept the, 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 the possibility of miraculous events. But note here the difference. If we say that this surah was revealed in support of a prophet before the prophet, bin Sanan, Khalid bin Sanan, and we accept the idea that miracles only were allowed by Allah for prophets after their prophecy, we don't have a problem. But if we say Khalid bin Sanan had nothing to do with it, and this was really in preparation for Muhammad, here we have a miracle without yet a prophet, who is declared a prophecy. This is theology, this is aqidah. Again, what difference does it make? It's a place of miracles. Why is this important? Because then can miracles occur, if miracles can occur for non-prophets, how about the Qutb al-Aqtab? A great Sufi master, for example. Can miracles occur for a great Sufi master? Or are miracles the exclusive domain of prophets? So in the in, in Quraysh itself, this miracle, in fact, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you how you get to this whole thing. Imagine yourself in Quraysh's position, okay? You, you live in Quraysh. And imagine that, imagine this story is true. An army of Abraha comes to invade. Birds appear in the sky. They squash the army to a pulp, right? And then, what's what's your perception at this point? Well, in fact, and what does the Kaaba have inside of it? Idols, right? So your your sense of I am on the true religion is affirmed. After all, God saved the Kaaba with its idol. Now, a man called Muhammad appears and says. You're following the wrong religion. Sorry, I I saw God protected the Kaaba himself. Don't tell me I'm following the wrong religion. If I was following the wrong religion, God would not have protected me. This is how it's approached. In other words, but not so if it's associated with a prophet. So that it would be so that the prophet would come and say, Listen, guys, this is not a miracle to to affirm your faith. This is a miracle for the prophet. Now, that the Prophet subsequently, later on, comes and says, well, this was miracle was for me when I was born. That doesn't fly. Because the, the, it doesn't fly because from the perception of those listening to him, his prophecy was not even declared. There was no causal connection between the two. No, but there has to be, the, the idea is that there is a prophet. I mean, because according to this logic, you, any miracle can be ascribed to any prophet hundreds of years after they're dead. There has to be a prophet that claims a causal connection at the time. This is the, this is the debate in theology. Khalid bin Nusayba, I mean, this is a big debate. Bin Salam, sorry. is a big debate as to when he actually died. And, I mean, most, most, theologians accept that he was a prophet and that he was there in Arabia and that he was before Muhammad. But did he die when Muhammad was an infant or did he die before Muhammad was born? That's the debate. Um, and that he did say, there. I mean, the reports are that he did say there's a prophet coming after, etc., etc. And he doesn't seem to have had much of, nearly as much of an impact he, some say that he is the one who is responsible for the honey 
you know, the, the, the people go around calling them that he's the one who's responsible for the hadith. Now, Ababil. Ababil has several possible meanings. The one that I would like to get put on the side right away is that of different colors. Ababil could mean of different colors. One possible meaning is a lot, many. Ababil simply like a flock, many. Ababil could mean mutatabi'ah, mean one after the other. Flocks of birds, one after the other. Ababil could mean mutafarriqa, from every direction, from every side. Now, the, the sense conveyed is that this is an overwhelming event, whether it is actual physical birds or otherwise. Okay. Tarmihim bihijaratim min sijil. Tarmihim. Throwing upon them. Tarmihim means to, to throw upon them, to pelt them. Now, rama, as you know, it means to throw upon, right? Tarmihim to throw upon. Hijara min sijil. This is where we get hijara in the most literal sense is a stone. But hijara doesn't tell you much more than that. In the most literal, in, in, in the, in actually in the most literal, literal sense, something that is hard. Hijara comes from the word hajara, which means what? To, to solidify, right? Anything that is hard, that when I say ahjur alayk, does this mean I build stone upon you? No, it means I restrict you. I, I restrict your movement that you are like a stone. You become like a stone. When I say, what's the room? What's the room called? Urja. Why? Solid object that limits your movement. So hijara is any, uh, not even solid, but any object that is hard. Throwing upon them hard objects from min sijil. So, what is really helpful here is to understand what is sijil. The problem, though, is sijil is not an Arabic word. Sijil is extracted from Persian. The Arabs, in, per, in the Persian version of sijil, it meant a certain type of rock that was hard and then clay. Half clay, half hard rock. However, sijil is reported to have been known in many other different formats. Sijil is, is known to have been used to mean something powerful, strong, taxing. Sijil is known to have been used to as a name for the heavens. Sijil is known to have been used as Bahr min al-hawa, sea of air. It could mean a hurricane, a, a, a sandstorm. Okay, so it throws upon them hard objects from Sijil, from this rather puzzling, mysterious source. Whether it is disguise, whether it simply means shadid, 
like hijara min 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 masdarin shadid. It's as if you say hijara from a, a taxing source, or whether it is something like is a, a storm. Now here min sijil, the birds are throwing upon them. We'll, we'll use the birds for now. Birds are throwing upon them pellets or hijara or stones from which source? Not from their beaks, not from their legs. But from Sijil, does this mean the, the, the stones were given to them by God from the source and they now they carried it? Or does this mean they picked up the stone from somewhere? Or does this mean that we cannot understanding it, understand it in terms of physical causality in, in the sense of that the, there are birds who went and picked up stones and then threw them? The answer is all are possible. In reality, all are possible. It could mean that these stones or, or, or the, the source of calamities, these hard objects, which could be simply a, a, an overwhelming sandstorm, it could simply be a meteoroid shower, right? It could be a possibly even a type of germ or, or plague or a disastrous infection that spreads, epidemic that spreads among the army. It could be any of these possibilities. All you need to enter the possibility in that it is fire, it's something that comes through the air, and that it is a serious calamity, and that the source of it could be, is, is overwhelming and irresistible, something that you cannot fight. And that is why all of these interpretations that you're talking about have entered under this verse. Okay, now before I wrap up the, the, the whole surah, the, uh, it was um, uh, Abu Saleh who is reported to have said, that he saw in the house of Um Hani stones. He said that there were stones, red stones with a black stripe in the middle. And he said that these were the stones that killed the armies of Abraham, carried by birds. Now, the problem though is it's an isolated report. And you think something like this, someone other than just Umhani would, would collect and have. I mean, you think something like this would be rather an important thing. I mean, particularly the merchant Meccans perhaps would sell it. You know, would collect it and make a business out of it. So, I, you know, one does not know what to... I mean, Umhani herself, if her report is authentic, could have been under the mistaken impression that this were, these were the stones. And she kept them, and no one else believed her. It's possible. Okay. Then Allah made them into. Asmaqul is again among these fascinating expressions. Let me give you all some of the possibilities. Not even all. It, what we refer to as Asf in in old Arabic. Not nowadays, no one uses Asf anymore. But in old Arabic. When worms eat leaves, these leaves that have been eaten by worms, they're called asf. Yeah, I mean, now it depends on, of course, which area. 
Okay. Huh? No, no. The leaves after they're eaten by worms. That that you call you call that leaf after that's been mangled over by a worm. You call that asr. Now you know the, the worms rarely eat the leaf whole, but you hold the leaf and it's full of holes and things like that. That leaf is called asr. You say see there's asr on this, meaning that it's been eaten up by. Other meaning for asr is food that is eaten. You know the food in your mouth after you break it and it's all gross and that's asr as well. Asr is also referred to as the peel of fruit. Uh, fruit in which you don't consume the, consume the peel itself but you scrape the fruit off the peel like mangoes. That's asr. And that's still used today in some areas of the Arab world. Also asr is when when a cattle eat fodder and defecate it, the defecation of the cattle is called asr. The point is, whatever afflicted the army of Abraha mangled it. Whatever befell them obviously mangled the body. Now, from there, those who have argued this is must have been like a disease because we know that there are diseases that truly mangle the body. Those who have argued, no, it was it was more like rocks falling from the sky because in a meteoroid shower, which does happen, you become thoroughly mangled. And in fact, in some innovative descriptions, it say that it would hit the person in their head and come out of the rear end. The, the, the rock would. Whatever happened, the end result was a complete mangling. Now we're going to stop here and we're going to continue with Surah to be continued with Surah Quraysh because that becomes where the conclusion is reached. But consider this, consider this, this possibility. Go back to their treasury led to their destruction. Go back to the notion of that you could be, consider the idea that you could become physically corrupted and deformed and destroyed, but you can also become what? What other form of, of mangling can take place in a human being? Spiritual. Consider that the asf ma'kul, because remember, we, we have reports about like the, 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 the driver of the elephant. Being blind, but otherwise they have their body. He's blind, but they have their body. Abraha w- walks off in the desert and then dies in the desert somewhere, according to reports, but he has his body intact. Another report says that parts of his body started falling off. From And this is the, 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 the genesis of the whole disease theory, that he was inflicted by the disease. and he's, But I'm not sure what disease makes your limbs fall off. I've never heard of a disease that makes your arms and legs and stuff like that fall off. But particularly, and, and who do you think would have excelled in that notion that asf ma'kul refers more to the, the, the consequences that took place inside more than outside, which school would have excelled in this? The Sufis. In other words, that you could have a treacherous goal. Ultimately, your treachery is going to destroy you. 
you could be the type of person when destroyed, you come to your senses. The vast majority, though, when calamity befall them, like Tabbat Yada Abi Lahab, what is the end result of the human being that tastes misery because of their treacherous nature? They become mangled, evil, corrupt, disgusting souls. Not, the, not that they reform. Think about it. You, you want you want to example par excellence? Think of child molesters, serial rapists. I mean, obviously, these are people that had events in their life which invoked a certain amount of treasure. This treasury became aggravated at several points, leading to their own self-destruction. The end result could have been a saint or a extremely disgusting thing that we don't even know if we could call human being anymore. Most of the time, it's the second, not the first. And there are, there are many other verses of the Quran, inshallah, that we'll talk about, that talk about this process in the most powerful fashion, in that human beings can become inside themselves like the defecation of mules. Their insides become foul and evil. And simple, symbol, symbolic stands for pure corruption.